0: Show you a better way. You Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Thursday, February thirteenth, two 2014. This is episode 1301 of the Survival Podcast, and I've got a good one for you today, uh, returning Uh, A previous guest and a a very good friend of mine now, uh, as we've been talking since I first met him several months ago, Gary Collins, and we're going to have a discussion today on primal nutrition, and you will hear it segue into a conversation on entrepreneurship. You're kind of getting two shows in one today because you're going to get a lot of information on kind of primal paleo nutrition side of things. But then you're going to get almost a second show on entrepreneurship from two different viewpoints. My viewpoint is someone who's, you know, been running my business now for almost six years. And Gary's view is someone who is uh, in the startup stages of a very similar type of business and struggling with all the things that come along with that. Before we get into that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day, number one today, Backwoods Home Magazine. Backwoods Home Magazine and I have a very long history together. Call it 1993, when I first left the Army as a young man and uh, moved to Louisville, Texas. I found a bookstore not far away from the apartment I lived in. I was dead broke, so I tried to save money in any way I could. So occasionally, when I needed something to do, I'd walk to a mall that was about a mile away sit down in a Barnes & Noble bookstore and read whatever I could find and buy a coffee so I didn't feel like a complete bum. And one of the things I found on the magazine shelf was Backwoods Home Magazine. Once I got on my feet, it was the first magazine I ever subscribed to. And uh, I've been a subscriber ever since. I think you should be too. If you're looking for the type of things you might find in Mother Earth news but with a libertarian flair and more practical down-to-earth information that applies to individuals... Check out Backwoods Home Magazine. Next up today, KnifeKits.com. If you want to learn how to make knives, it might seem kind of daunting. It might seem like too much to learn. It's complicated. It's an ancient art. It used to be highly, highly valued. Anybody could forge knives and swords and things like that. Well, KnifeKits.com makes it easy for you to start out with kind of an easy learning curve using a kit approach. You can actually go get a kit and pick out some handle material and maybe some uh, other components of your knife and, and start out very, very easy with the with the blade and the uh, and, and, and all already formed for you. If you're not sure what to do, you can get a book or a DVD to go along with it to learn how to do that first project. Or if you're not really sure what you need even with that, you can call them up and they'll help you out. And you can progress from there. And if you're already a master bladesmith, they have some of the coolest and most exotic materials you'll find. A huge selection of kydex and other great stuff. Check them out today at knifekits.com. Remember, knifekits.com and Backwoods Home Magazine both do. Special deals for members of the Support Brigade. And on that note, our MSB discounter of the day. And I mentioned one company a day who is not an official sponsor but is a supporter of our Member Support Brigade by offering you guys a discount in there for members only. The Doom and Bloom Survival Medical uh, Supplies. That's uh, our good friends. Dorothy and I are very good friends with uh, Bones and Amy. And they do a wonderful site. And they have wonderful selection of uh, survival medical kits. From the very basic to the most advanced you'll find, they do 10% off all items for MSB members. Um little bonus I'm going to throw in for you today before I mention the MSB in its little spot. Uh, I just found a new show that I'm really enjoying watching on YouTube because it's the only way I can get it is on YouTube right now. It's from BBC and it's called Tudor Monastery Farm. And uh, it's by Ruth Goodman, Peter Ginn, and some other guy I don't know. Peter Ginn and Ruth Goodman uh, have done other shows along with a guy, I think it's a different guy this time, such as Victorian Farm, Edwardian Farm, and Wartime Farm. Many of you guys actually keyed me in on those. So since I've discovered this new series, the whole thing is on YouTube right now. In HD, by the way, as opposed to some of the other episodes. Um, I thought I'd let you know about it. And basically the concept is they're in about the year 1500 in England. Uh, is tenant farmers working on a farm uh, owned by a monastery. And it's a very interesting thing, and it's not what you would probably think it would be as far as the relationship between them and the monastery and how well it, it can work out for the tenant farmer. It's kind of unique. Uh, and then they have farm laborers, and they have to use all the old technology, and it, it's very, very interesting to me anyway to look into the past like that. Uh, so I just want to throw that one in for you. On that note, do consider joining the member support brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. Help support the show at a whopping 18.3 cents an episode. You'll get discounts to people like Knife Kits, Backwoods Home Magazine, and the Doom and Bloom Survival Medical Supplies, and many others. Uh, again, you'll be supporting the show at about 18.3 cents an episode. Just go to the site, click on Members to learn more. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty and prior service. First responders like EMTs and paramedics. And firefighters, all of you qualify for a service discount. Just send me an email with service discount in the subject line. Tell me about your service in one or two sentences. Uh, and again, that applies to not just active duty, but prior service in any capacity whatsoever. Um, with that wrapped up, let's talk about the year 1301. i got a short one for you today. Promises made, promises kept sort of legend has it that King Edward I of England had promised the people of Wales, remember England wasn't quite what it is today, you know there was these much more hard lines between places like Wales and Scotland and all these other places than than they have today uh though if you talk to an Englishman today they'll they'll tell you that that's still there's a lot of pride in you know being a Welshman or or what have you anyway. Back to it. Uh, Legend has it King Edward I of England has promised the people of Wales he would appoint a ruler over them that was born in Wales and didn't speak a word of English. True to his word, but not to the spirit, he names his own son, Edward II, as the Prince of Wales. The prince was born in a Welsh castle in April 1284. At the age of seven, he spoke French, which was the language of the English nobility from this time forward. The heir apparent of the crown of England is appointed as the Prince of Wales. My take by Alex Shrugged, who puts these history segments together for us on TSPWiki.com. I am suspicious of such a legend, but it seems logical that King Edward of England arranged to have his son born in Wales to foster the loyalty of the Welsh. The king was depending on the Welsh archers to defeat the Scots. Uh, I also don't think it's a, a far cry for a politician to technically make his promise made but not actually make his promise made people say well i did what i said i was gonna do maybe you just didn't understand you know or i fail to recall for those that remember that from ronaldus magnus reagan uh or it depends on your definition of what is is from you know william jefferson clinton um the more things change the more they stay the same with that Ready to get into the main topic of today's show again. What you'll hear today is a discussion on nutrition uh, from a primal slash paleo standpoint. Uh, my thoughts and Gary's thoughts, and and kind of where we agree and where we maybe don't disagree, but just have different takes on certain things. And uh, it'll segue eventually into a conversation that has a lot to do with, you know, what it's like to be a new entrepreneur, and uh, really just a great conversation between friends. I hope you enjoy it. I know I did. And with that, hey, Gary, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me back, Jack.
0: Hey, you were on before, but I mean, I get new people all the time, and and frankly, we have over 1,300 episodes now, so there's plenty of people that listen that haven't heard everyone and might have missed your first one. Uh, So you have something called the Primal Power Method, which is very similar to, uh, in many ways, what I call a paleo approach that I recommend, that's uh, been very effective for me. Can you explain to people kind of your background and how you came up with this primal power, power method and, and what are the principles behind it?
1: Yeah, it's a, a long, uh, evolved story, but I'll keep it short for purposes here. But I'm a, a former special agent. I worked for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Food and Drug Administration, and that gave me kind of an insight. Before that, I was a uh, prior uh, more traditional law enforcement military, so the whole healthcare fraud and all that kind of stuff was new to me. And it opened up my eyes. I'd always been an athlete and I've been concerned about nutrition and it just brought into these insights of how our food and drug and healthcare industry works as a whole. And it was actually pretty appalling and scary. Um, I avoided doctors for years um, and I kind of found a newfound kind of health Regiment that I went on while I was working at the FDA at the end And it was more of a holistic approach to nutrition And it was through investigating a lot of naturopaths and ND doctors, uh, natural, do- natural doctors And I kind of started reading the literature and I went, hmm This stuff kind of makes sense to me And so I started applying it and then I eventually left And that was the genesis of my company uh, which at first was New American Nutrition, and then it has recently evolved into the Primal Power Method, which is my take on my background, what I've experienced by working in the government and being on the inside. And then I applied uh, paleo, primal, low-carb, ketogenic diet, and some ancestral health kind of principles, and I kind of molded it into my own thing. Uh, I noticed when I was going on my path that a lot of it was very confusing. It was disjointed. Um, there's not a whole lot of cohesiveness between the groups. And you get a kind of a hodgepodge, and you don't know quite what you're following. And I wanted to fix that. And that's where the primal power method came about, is I said, this has to be easier. You know, not everyone should have to spend five or six years trying to figure this crap out. You know, it shouldn't be that complicated. Um, so I did. I simplified everything, and it's my concept uh, that I put together, and it's based on five key principles, which is the first one is knowledge is power. Two is avoid extremes. Three is keep it simple. Four, something is better than nothing. And five is take action today and every day. Those are the principles. Um, they're the principles I follow. They're the principles I teach to my clients, and they are the principles of the Primal power method.
0: Awesome, man, and in in kind of watching what you've been doing since we were la- you were last on, I've noticed you've made some uh, changes. Um, can you talk about what you've done recently?
1: Yeah, and that's kind of the the evolution from New American Nutrition was the beginning of what I was trying to create, and it evolved, like I said, into the Primal Power Method, which is more just my philosophy, and it it has it has Paleo in it. But primal is a little different, um, and that's why I went more of a primal route. Paleo is strictly against grains and dairy; those are excluded. Well, primal says, well, dairy's okay in, in small amounts, as long as it's organic, raw, um, and that grains, if you, you can tolerate them, you know, if it's fermented, you know, soaked. You know, we're okay with that, but we don't recommend it kind of thing. And and beans, legumes, we're definitely against that. But it's one of those where it's a little more open philosophy than paleo. Paleo is very strict. So that's why I made these changes as my philosophy kind of broadened too because I did follow the paleo diet for a certain amount of time. And then my diet evolved and I started bringing in dairy and realized I could tolerate some dairy before I couldn't. After I cleaned my body up over several years and changed, I realized that raw organic cheese I'm totally fine with. I can eat it by the bricklet. It doesn't do anything to me. Um, but I still have problems with other dairy products. But that's why the company and what I'm doing is evolving. It's turning into a little more broad approach. Um, the Primal Power method is less than a year old. It'll be a year old in April, and that was the first my first book. And that was Change Your Body, Change Your Life. It was actually, uh, previous to that, it had a different name. It was Unlocking the Ancient Secret to Health. And then I rebooted. I fired my, uh, re- stupid marketing guy who was screwing everything up. Um nothing gets marketing guys. I know that's your past, uh, Jack, so. But then I rebooted and I changed it again. And that's where I'm going now. That's what the company is all about. So I've got a new book coming out um, it's in layout right now and it's going to be on organics and and GMOs and I'm going to discuss polyculture monoculture and I tell you how to shop organic foods how to plant your own garden it's kind of a I'm giving people kind of an A to Z approach to health without reading a dictionary um, that's what primal power methods all about
0: I think that's great, and I think that there's a lot of misconceptions out there. Like, even with some of the things you just said, like you said, well, in in paleo, there is no dairy, and I think that depends on who in paleo you ask. Yeah. Um, You know, and I think that, I think one of the cool things I've seen Rob Wolf do recently is a blog post called the uh, Seven Shades of Paleo Classification. And uh, he actually, you know, we all have our own words for crap, so I don't necessarily agree with this, but the fourth shade of paleo is the (laughs) lacto-paleo. Let me read you what he wrote. It's called Also Known as Primal. This one is exactly what the name implies: The lacto-paleo follows a traditional paleo lifestyle of eating, but includes dairy products. Now we're not talking just any dairy, dairy products like cheese whiz, coffee mate, and craft singles or Ben and Jerry's. They do not fall under this umbrella. The optimal choices here are organic, grass-fed, whole, full-fat dairy products, skim milk, uh, and yo play need not apply. Uh, and he actually links over to one of your competitors, uh, Mark's Daily Apple. Uh, on, yeah, on the yeah. word primal. So I, I, I think that there's like a lot of this overlap and like when paleo came out, it was pretty militant, which by the way, Rob is the first shade, the militant paleo also known as that guy. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess he was that guy at first. And I think that all of us, as we start doing this stuff, we start to realize like these hard rules, like are great guidelines. And then we have to venture out almost like a child learning a new way into all these things ourselves and determine for ourselves, you know, what actually works best.
1: Exactly, and that's what I teach, and that's what uh, the Primal Power Method is all about. And it's it's more of the paleo crowd is getting really complicated right now. Um, it's It's got a big gap. It's got these young 20-something-year-olds who have actually no background in health or nutrition. And then you kind of have the, the Rob Wolf version who's older, even though he's a little younger than I am, um, who kind of started it. And what it's doing is it's confusing a lot of people. And so I'm trying to cut out the confusion, too, because some of these younger paleo people are defining paleo incorrectly. They're saying, oh, yeah, sure, you can have butter, you can have uh, milk and dairy. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not how it is technically really defined. If you're going to do that, you need to explain why. And they don't. They just don't know truly what paleo is because they don't have any experience in anything. Um, and they know they know, and I know I'm making enemies, um some of them don't like me very much because I call them out. You know I say, you know you're twenty four years old, you don't know anything about life, let alone teaching people how to eat a proper diet or follow a proper lifestyle <laughs> regimen to get healthy. um so maybe you won't, might want to go intern somewhere or maybe you'll go to get a job before you put out you know your <laughs> blog. And do your network marketing and your affiliate marketing, and you're trying to scrape a couple pennies together. And do this crazy thing called get experience and learn what your craft is instead of being an idiot. And they don't yeah. like when I call them out like that. They're like, who's this guy? Why is he so mean? Oh my God. <laughs> you know, that's just life. You know, it would have been me going to college for criminal justice and coming out and writing uh, books on professional law enforcement and all of my knowledge when I had never even gone through an academy. Absolutely. It makes no sense.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, to me, there are people who are professionals in this industry that we can listen to, and then there are people with track records. So I'm not a new professional nutritionist. I don't claim to be. I haven't in any way uh, tried to market myself as that. But I'm a guy that kind of went through – kind of upswing, downswing throughout my life where, you know, I got out of the army and I, I, I was one of the most in shape people probably walking around on an average day anywhere that I went. Um, and then you get into life and you start to to live life and find professional success. You put a few pounds on and, you know, next thing I know I'm sitting at 225 pounds where a good weight for me is about 190. And uh, I discovered the protein power plant and uh, Dr. Z's and yeah. I, had, you know, I did that and it worked but it didn't stick. And part of why it didn't stick is there was such what I would call replacement therapy. So when I talk about herbalism, I say, like, you know, replacement therapy is not really the way to go, which is, you know, I have a headache, so instead of an aspirin, I'm going to take willow bark. Well, a, yeah. a headache is neither a deficiency in willow bark or aspirin, right? What's well, causing the headache? So with there's like a, a, a weird version of replacement therapy with, with protein power and those low-carb approaches is, Oh well, we can make pancakes, uh, but we're gonna do them this way or or what have you, and as also keep the net carb count under. And, and then okay, well you're still eating a toxic grain, which may yeah. or may not yep. be a problem, right? It may yep. be or it may, but they don't make any the distinction between it. So you know, along the way, I find Paleo, I find Rob Wolf's book. And with the because I'd been through Protein Power ten years earlier, and now I'm up to like 300 pounds, and people are today still say, "Well, who's this 300 pound guy to talk about being in shape?" Well, okay, I'm a 200 pound guy now, so that's <laughs> that hundred pounds is my street cred, right? But yeah. Yeah. when I found Pro uh, um, uh, Paleo, they were very much on the lean meat thing, which because of my previous experience, I knew bullshit on the lean meat, right? That's not bad, right? So I did exactly what he said with an occasional beer and a little bit of cheese and and fatty ass meat. And I did that for like a good three to four months, militant, that guy militant, like he's saying. And then I started kind of experimenting and I, I ended up, what's funny is I ended up so close to what you teach with neither one of us ever talking to each other And yet, even when you and I have talked, there's some differences, not really in our philosophy, but in our personal regimen. I can eat a little bit of grain. You don't mess with it.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. And that's where I'm trying to, because the space has got very crowded, too, because paleo is so popular. Everyone now has got a paleo blog, paleo book, paleo cookbook. And it's hard, And, and it's confusing for a lot of people. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to say, okay. I've got, you know, I'm in my 40s. I'm not some amateur. I've been in health and exercise for decades. You know, I'm the only guy in the industry with my background as a former insider, as an agent. You might want to listen to me. Um, you have to follow me. No, but I kind of know what I'm talking about. So how do I put what I know and make it easier for people to follow and not make it to a like, because you went to the same thing I did. You know, I followed the same path. I've screwed up and followed certain diets and plans that were low-carb slash, you know, more ancestral health and they screwed me up. I, yeah, I lost a little weight, but I was never overweight. I was just unhealthy. I felt like sure. shit was my problem. And, <laughs> you know, that was the major problem. My 30s are were the worst years of my life, health-wise. Just felt awful, and I couldn't figure it out why. And I went, okay, with all the things I've learned, how can I package this and give it to people to where it's simple. You know, all they got to do is, and I'm not saying this just to sell books. It's like, I just want them to buy my books and that's it. You don't have to go read Rob Wolf if you don't want to. You don't have to go read Mark Sisson if you don't want to. My stuff's easier to follow. It's simpler. And it's done on a lot of trial and error on my part. And 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 not to say these guys don't either. I'm Rob Wolf and Mark Sisson have Bona fides. I mean, they're they're the real deal. But when I read their stuff, sometimes my eyes roll back in my head, and I'm all, Oh my God, what did I just read? I got to go back and read the three pages I just read. Um, you know, and if I'm doing that, the average person has to really be confused. They're going, Okay, I'm not didn't take biochemistry, but I'm getting a hard crash lesson in it right now. So I need to know this? <laughs> and that's my attitude. Do you need to know that stuff? No, not to be healthy. You know, our ancestors didn't know that saturated fat was, you know, good for them, even though we're taught today that it's bad for you. They didn't know how much they were supposed to eat. They just ate what was around them. And they knew the, you know, the the herbs and things to use for certain uh, conditions. And that was it. We've made it so complicated and even I think the paleo and primal movement is very guilty of that too because everyone's trying to differentiate themselves and trying to uh, kind of outsmart the next guy and I'm all that's not what the people need they don't need uh, you know an ego contest what they need is the information in digestible pieces so they can understand it and apply it that's how I look at it um, I don't know what was your experience with it Jack Farzat I mean You've read quite a few books.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like, so you mentioned, like, some of the stuff you read, your eyes glazing over. Um, I mean, Rob's even aware of that himself. When you read uh, his 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 book he almost makes fun of himself on some of it. Like, you know, you can skip the next, there's one part where he says like, if you yeah, don't really care about all this, it. you can skip like 40 pages right now. But if you want to know all of the minutia, I'll give it to you here, which I think is kind of cool that a person has enough of a sense of humor about themselves to, to basically say, okay, this is for people who are nutrition nerds like me. And, and, you know, and I know other people in this space that, that, that will clubber you over the head with it if you want it. Um, uh what what's the guy's name now? I've got him in my MSB. Doctor um oh my god, Greg Ellis. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. If you read if you read the glycation factor, it's five hundred and some odd pages and four hundred are nutritional research. And if you'll plod through it, it's very hard to dispute anything. But yet like you're saying that, I, I I see books like that that's for the guy you know we're naming people now you know the that guy or whatever that's for the doubter right the doubter yeah. that's like can't possibly scientifically work because the USDA spent nine million dollars to change the pyramid into a plate and now we know what to eat and we're supposed to base our diet on grains and saturated fats are bad you just go you just pick the book up throw it on the desk and go boom go away when you're done reading that you can come back and argue with me. For people yeah. that are like, okay, I've watched enough fat people get skinny and I've I watched enough uh you know, sick people become well. Um, you know, they don't need all that crap. They just need to know what to do.
1: Yeah, and that's what I did. I that's where my whole basically concept came from is I saw that there was this big gap that no one was writing to the average person per se. You know, no one was looking at the person in the eyes of that person going, "They don't know anything." They don't know how to even get around a grocery store anymore. Most people today don't even cook. Their stove is spotless because they never use it, <laughs> you know. So you got to kind of start from, you know, from from the ground zero, basically, people, and you got to explain the basics to them and not overwhelm them. And that's what I've noticed is with paleo, a lot of people would come to me and they go, are you a paleo guy? I go, no, and I explain it to them. And I I'd like, I'd tell them, I'm not against paleo. I love paleo. But you you just misunderstood the principles and let me explain them to you in a simpler way. And once they get it, they love paleo and they love how what primal is all about. But they don't. Most people who follow me don't kind of pigeonhole me in paleo anymore. They realize that I'm much more than that. And anyone know, you've read my books and uh, a lot of your followers have. I when I was on the first time I got great feedback. That you have the best followers in the world, and they loved it. They're all. Finally, a book I can read and I can understand. I can get through it in three or four days and apply it, and not have to go back and reread the whole thing again because <laughs> well, I forgot. Here,
0: here, here's what I like about your book. I have have always struggled with recommending a book, so I'd look at Lauren Cordain and and and, and Mark and Rob and you know, and I, I they'd say, well, what's the best book for me to buy this? And I'd always come down and say, well, it's 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 Rob's book. It really is. It's a great book. And then I'd have to say, but here's where I disagree. And I'd have to read off this like 10 point bullet point list and explain all those bullet points is to where I agree about this, but that may not apply to everybody. Or I agree with this completely if you have autoimmune conditions and yeah. and these things are aggravating those autoimmune conditions, but not. And then you look at so like I think Rob's in desperate need of a new book. I mean, if you look at his book, like all the things I bitch about in his book. He's addressed, but yet he's selling the same book. So somebody buys that book and thinks, "Well, Rob's doing all this great stuff," and then they're like, "What? Well, what the? This doesn't jive." You know, they don't eat yeah. too much fat. And then you read his blog, and he's cooking with bacon grease. Dairy's bad, but he's cooking with ghee. I yeah. somewhere along the line, you know, if you want to keep selling a book, you got to kind of update it. And with your book, I can say, go read that. And the reason I don't have to point out where I disagree with you. Is because you leave open the opportunity for the person to find their own answer. You're saying, here's, here's the strict guidelines, here's the next level of guidelines, and then here's the stuff you can play around with. So I can confidently say, if you get this, you can figure it out for you, because you're smart enough to know that, to tell anybody, this is the way you should eat. It's just dumb.
1: Yeah, and, and that's by kind of my beef with some of the people that are out there now, is the young people who are writing the new books. They're just regurgitating Rob Wolf stuff and Chris Presser and some other people, and they don't understand the information they're regurgitating. They're just dumping the same stuff. So if you buy, like, the 10 top paleo books, literally they are identical. There's no difference.
0: Yeah, and it's yeah. the
1: same information, but one thing I get back, people who buy my book, they go, I've read all those books, and your book is different. They go, I didn't expect it to be different, but it's different. And know, of course, because I didn't just go out. There was people I purposely did not read before mm-hmm. I wrote my book, and it was Lauren Cordain, Rob, if I was familiar with their material, but I did not read their books, um, and uh, uh, Mark Sisson and Paul Chet. I purposely did not read their books. I'd been to the blogs. I knew their philosophy. I knew everything, you know, but I didn't read the books because I didn't want it to influence anything I was writing because there's already enough of that shit out there. There's more yeah, than enough. I
0: understand that I respect that because, honestly, I was working on an article I did. It was a pretty deep article on my version of paleo. Right when we met, you sent me your book. I read the introduction and said, okay, I've got to put this shit away until I'm done with my article because yeah. immediately I started to see these places where we lined up and whether we lined up or were different, I didn't actually want your work interf- influencing my assessment of two years of the way that I lived. I wanted to be pure in explaining, hey, this is what I did. This is what worked. This is what didn't. These are my results. I'm not saying you'll get these results, but if you, if you go down this path, it'll probably lead you somewhere good. And then I read your book. It will, and
1: that's why we're so alike, you know. When we talk, we talk. It's like brothers talking. We have these same philosophies, and and that's where I think the the kind of the not just payload but the health movement has lost itself in general. Is no one wants to create anything? I mean, information is information. You can't change some of it, but no one wants to put their own spin on anything. They just keep basically stamping the same thing that they know that sells, instead of going, you know what? How about I just do the right thing and write something interesting that someone will read and actually get something different out of. And that's how I'm just wired differently, and I know I am. And even with that second book that I'm putting out, it's been read by a few people, but I don't let a lot of people read my books before I send them out and do them, because I really don't give a shit what what anyone's opinion is. I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to change the book. So I just want to make sure it's not god-awful. And they come yeah. back and go, oh my God, that is the worst book I've ever read.
0: But yeah, they always yeah. come
1: back to me and say, wow, that's refreshing. That's something new. And I go, of course, cause I didn't read anyone else. <laughs> I wrote it from my experience and not someone else's experience. And I don't, you know, I'm not overly concerned that I go to my publishing company and sell a hundred thousand copies. I am my publishing company. Sure. I control all of my information. That's another thing that I think your listeners appreciate with me is, I own 100% of everything in my company. I own all the rights to everything. No one influences anything I do. What they get is purely Gary, whether you hate it or you like it. It's me.
0: <laughs> you That's do sound like, to... yeah, you... like me now. You do like me now. Just on the other books thing, I think you'll agree with this. As much as I don't like some of the, the new stuff coming out from people that I don't think know what they're talking about, when it's just on – Here's what it is, and here's what to eat, what not to eat. It's one thing. The freaking cookbooks are ridiculous, oh. Oh and the God. recipe I, I, sites are ridiculous. Like, uh, yeah, you can have pumpkin cheesecake if it's half coconut flour, and, and it's made with organic cream cheese. And, you, okay, I don't really, you know, and, and they're like, well, what's it sweetened with? Well, sugar. No, hold yeah. on. Where did our, Where did our paleo or, or primal ancestors get refined cane sugar from?
1: Well, and that's the thing. It, it, with The cookbooks, there's some really good ones. I will say, uh, like uh, Dana Carpenter has a 500 low carb, it's 500 recipes, it's, it's a lot. Well, she predated all these people, and her yeah. cookbook doesn't have a bunch of fancy pictures in it, and, you know, it's actually no pictures in it, which I like. I actually thought it was pretty cool how she did it. Her cookbook is phenomenal. It blows all those away but it doesn't get any of the respect because it doesn't have a, you know, a cute 20-something-year-old up there with her, you know, with her triple-layer brownie whatever. Um, yeah, it's paleo, um, but it's not healthy. And also, yeah. they're starting to catch that, though. The newer cookbooks, I'm starting to see that they are actually starting to change that because a lot of us are bashing them for it. going yeah. hey. You know, you, all you're doing is is basically giving the people what they want which is what they don't need, which is more sugar. You're giving it to them in a different form. A carb bomb is a carb bomb. And that's interesting. You know, this is going to freak you out. I'm actually writing a cookbook right now.
0: Oh, awesome.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I said I would never do it because these people pissed me off so bad. You're a
0: freaking liar. (laughs)
1: Liar. (laughs) Blasphemer But what I decided is I'm teaming up with uh, a couple other people. And uh, we just sat down one day, and we all said, we hate these cookbooks for the most part. dot all of them. There Like I said, there are some really good ones. But for the most part, the newer ones are very trendy, and it's just, like I said, just junk. And we said, how how do we make this more applicable to the normal person again? So we read, we kind of went through everything, and we went, how do we make it super easy and fit the primal power method philosophy? And we did it. Uh, it's in, we're working on the manuscript right now and we have it pretty well laid out, um, what we're going to have in it. And I think people are going to really, really enjoy it because it's practical. It makes sense. It just doesn't have practical in the name of the cookbook like some have called themselves. And it's not practical. It's, it's nothing but. My cookbook follows exactly the philosophy and it's not just about me. I brought in some other people. I felt had some concepts that I thought should be shared. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting. I will not to give too much away on it yet, but there's so many books I have planned, too. That's another difference uh, that I think people understand, too, is I'm new. I have other books less than a year old. Well, the second one's already coming out. And I have the cookbook almost written, and then I have three more books that are partially written. And that it's going to be a series. I'm trying to take people through a whole series of changes without overwhelming them and making the books interesting. Um, I don't know. I think my book's pretty entertaining to read. You at least don't fall asleep through this damn thing. And that was the whole point. Um, and that's what I want. I want to tell a story. I want my, my, my whole philosophy in my books to be a story. And I think it's working. And I've also said once I finish... Uh, the last book in the series will be three in the Primal Power Method series, as uh, far as those main books, and then the cookbook. I'm never writing a health book ever again. That's it. I'm done. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for me to ever write another health book. I've covered it all. It's done, and I'm actually looking at publishing. I got a 450-page fantasy book uh, on my desktop that someone sent me, so I'm starting looking to look into publishing other authors now, and I want it to be entertaining. Uh, That's why I'm so different from all these people. I'm looking at fantasy books. I've got some former military guys that were in combat sending me manuscripts. And I'm like, hey, everyone who follows me is going to enjoy what I put out. It doesn't have to all be about health, for God's sakes. You know, it's about life.
0: Yeah, definitely. And before we go into your new books i like to bounce another concept off you that I, I have a problem with with some of the militant people in the movement that will say things like, well, our paleo ancestors ate. And I don't even give a shit what you fill the blanket, in it, Or they didn't eat. I don't care what you fill the blanket with. And here's what I mean. By the time we were into what we would call the paleolithic uh, era, primal era, whatever you want to call it, before modern agriculture, let's just say that, where people were living a hunter-gatherer lifestyle, there were people in almost all four corners of the earth. Now, if you were a primitive Native American species living on the coast of Florida, I absolutely guarantee you, unequivocally, you ate uh, shellfish and fish. All right, And I also guarantee you, you ate very little buffalo. You might have ate some venison, but there weren't a lot of buffalo running around in the freaking Everglades. If you lived in Nebraska, modern-day Nebraska you probably ate a lot of really big animals with red meat and lots of fat built up on them because they were feeding on the plains and developing fat, and grass actually has a lot of ability for ruminants to convert it to fat. If you were living in a northern climate, you had a different diet. If you were living in you know what we would call today a tropical climate, not a subtropics like Florida, but a true tropics, you were probably eating a lot more fruits because there's fruit on the freaking trees 360 days out of the year. So, to me, when we get myopic like that, we ignore the geographic distribution of who we are calling our ancestors.
1: I, well, we 100% agree on that. And that is probably my biggest beef with uh, hardcore paleos, um, you know, without naming names, one has hole in the name. Um, <laughs> they bug me um, because...
0: They start start giving nutritional information from the fat profile of something like a caribou, right? Okay, fine. Um, Great. If you live where there's pork and no caribou, you've never eaten a caribou in your life. You don't know what it is. If one showed up, they would have had a big worship ceremony to it and thought it was some kind of god animal.
1: I know. Well, and that's the problem when you have people writing books who never grew up hunting or fishing or doing anything out in nature. And I think that's the big disconnect with a lot of the bigger authors is how do you teach people about primal or paleo when you live in Malibu? I'm confused. Yeah. I don't understand <laughs> how that works and how you've stretched your face three or four times and suddenly put on 20 pounds of muscle in your late fifties. I'm a little confused. Yeah. Um, and I won't mention any name. I don't do that, but I yeah. have problems with some of that. I, it's, if you're going to do that, be honest about it. Just tell people what you're doing. And I think that is. That's the disconnect is these people don't really, again, it comes to the regurgitating of other people's information instead of figuring it out on their own. And being this militant lifestyle of strict paleo, well, that's great. I, I ask, any person who asks me why I think about certain uh, authors and these books that are very popular and what they say, and I go, well, That's fine if they want to put out this strict philosophy on paleo that our ancestors didn't have access to, you know, cheese or this or that. I go, they also didn't have access to that caked makeup on their face. They also didn't have access to computers. They didn't have cars. They didn't have a lot of things, but these Mm -hmm. people use them all. I've been around them, (laughs) so I'm confused. I mean, they're just basically hammering on one point the nutrition side, which is fine. Yeah, But it's like, to me, it's kind of like, uh, you know, a hypocrite. You're preaching this really strict lifestyle, and then you're all, well, why don't you walk to work?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff like that. So, like, here's another one that gets me. Every time I do a show on this, and I basically say, I would not build a diet based on rice. And then I'll get somebody say, well, in Japan, they're all thin, and they eat fish and rice every day. And, and I'm like, you know what? When, the last time I went to a resort in Florida on the beach, and I went to the website and I looked at the picture of the beach, all the people at the resort on the beach, on the website, were thin and beautiful. When I got there, those people (laughs) weren't nowhere to be found. There were fat old ladies from New Jersey with with, with cigarettes hanging out of their mouth, with a suntan that made their skin about as rough as the back of a freaking football, right? So when any nation puts out imagery of its people, it's, and, and then the other side of that whole thing is you get the whole well our you know my grandparents ate this and they ate that. Let's not worry about what they ate. What did they not eat? I mean, even back in the seventies when I was a kid, you know, living with my grandparents who ate whatever they wanted. You know, half our food came off our property. Um, it wasn't just that they worked harder because my grandfather by then had black lung and was retired, um, so he wasn't actually working hard. But he wasn't fat. But they weren't eating a lot of processed foods. There were very few when you opened a cabinet covered, there were very few foods in boxes. So even though yeah, yeah they, they ate a lot of bread, they were Ukrainian, right? They there was porohis and you know and bolinis with potatoes and all this crap. But and then let's also look at okay, well I'm not saying that the wheat in the nineteen seventies was good for you. I'm just saying it was less toxic and less damaging. And all these that things is- have changed over time.
1: Yeah, and and that's the thing, too. I think uh, when you talk about this strict lifestyle, um, I don't necessarily disagree with it, but also times have changed and we have to adapt to that and realize that we do live in a more modern society and that you need, I call it the kind of the bridging for people today and that you can't go from eating processed crap for decades and then all of a sudden go eating You know, organic grass-fed beef and going and finding it, first of all, it's hard to find if you don't know where to look and you're not into the lifestyle. And then, to me, it's too big of a transition and it's unrealistic, but that tells me that those people don't understand exactly what they're preaching. Because for me, I tell people, hey, let's kind of bridge it over. Let's get you going. You know, let's get you on foods that aren't as toxic at first. And let's start weaning away some of the, you know, the bad things like the sugar and all the, the breads and grains reading. Let's start pulling them out and then let's let you detox and let's kind of get you going. And instead of if you take them from, you know, zero to a hundred, well, the detox effect is excruciating. I mean, people go through two weeks of, you know, can whole, we talk
0: about that yeah. a minute, Gary? Because yeah. that's important. Yeah. This is, this is what happens. I have somebody that's, that, that's not 300 pounds like I was. It's, you know, 180, 200 pounds, good shape, six foot, two inch guy, right? Yeah. But just doesn't quite feel right and knows like, and they're starting to put the weight on and their cholesterol is a little high and all. And they're like, I want to show this paleo thing. And I you know, go get Rob's book and use that as your baseline and, and then work your way out. And they'll come back in two weeks and go, this does not work for me. I feel like complete shit. And my yeah. response has always been, Do you know what? If you were doing heroin for 20 freaking years and I cut you off a of heroin, you're going to feel like shit, too. That doesn't or mean the heroin is good for you. Or right? die. <laughs> yes, you might. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why I think uh, Greg Ellis kind of recommends don't go. I went cold turkey, and I kind of recommend people do it. But, but like, Dr. Ellis does says, like, no. Like, phase out, like, 25% at a time over, like, four weeks to give yourself this adapt- adaptation time. And then he was like, but if you just want to friggin' make yourself miserable for a couple weeks, go ahead and do it. And either way, it works. What do you say on that?
1: Well, and that's where uh, I'm more of a, a gradual, even though I'm a very regimented guy. I'm, I'm, I take my lungs. So I did it cold turkey too. I did it the same way, but I was not, you know, 150 pounds overweight. I was probably, you know, probably 10, really lost 10. I didn't know it at the time, but I went through two weeks of, two to three weeks of health, and I thought I was healthier than the average American by quite a bit, and I just look at that, and I go, if that's what I had to go through, if I take the average American today and dump them and immerse them into a primal paleo lifestyle strict, first of all, they're going to have a hard time sticking with it, and you're good. that's where the dropout factor um, on one of the programs that I mentioned earlier, they have a high dropout rate, and it's because it's too strict. You know, there's the people feel like crap, and then they can't. They go, I just, I don't feel good, and you got, you explain it to them, and you try to explain it to them in words, but you can't explain what you're going to feel like because it's bad. It's like having a bad flu for a couple weeks, and it, it eventually goes away, but you get the achy joints, you get the headaches, you get the nausea. I mean, I know some people who have thrown up, gotten so nauseated, and I'm like, yeah, that's how it works. So, but my attitude is, well, why? Why does everyone have to go that way when most people are probably going to have to do it in steps? But the people who are like former athletes and former military, usually them, I know I can immerse them in it and they'll be okay. They can take, they can take their lumps. But for the average American, which is who we're dealing with for the most part, you got to take it a little differently. You got to use kind of kid gloves a little bit. You got to kind of be there. You got to help them out. You got to be able to explain it to them and just saying, just suck it up, you know? Don't well, worry about at it.
0: Least, at least inform them of their choice. Like, okay, yeah. you, whether you get it or not, you're an addict, right? Yep. You're an addict, and you, you, as most addicts, you have an addiction to the food, and you have a toxic buildup of the food. When you stop eating this, you're going to have – correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, it's not a thing. It's two things. You have, one, the side effects of breaking the addiction, and two – the 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 ill effects of releasing the toxins back into the bloodstream to be eliminated. So yeah, it's actually exactly two, two cycles you're going through at the same time.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you're putting a lot of pressure on your organs at the same time because what happens with a, a big detox when you the sugar addiction is the primary part of it, um, and people get confused with that. We probably should start with that first. Because they go, well, I don't eat a lot of sugar. But I go, do you eat a lot of pasta and bread? Well, no, I don't think so. And then you sit them down and you go, you literally eat this for every meal. You understand that, right? You're eating, you know, hundreds of grams of carbs that you can't possibly process. And that turns into sugar, you know. And they go, it does? I go, yes. That, If you eat bread, you're eating sugar. Your body has to break down those complex carbohydrates into simple carbohydrates before they can be absorbed into your bloodstream. And guess what those are? Simple carbohydrates are sugar. And they're all, oh, oh, shit, you know. And I'm like, yeah. And so you're an addict. We get that. And I talked to them about the, you know, the experiments they did with mice on uh, sugar addiction and what's released in the brain chemicals that is exactly like the addiction to heroin and cocaine. They've done it. They know, mm-hmm. I mean, it is mice, but that's what we do our studies on. We'd love to do it with humans, but there's rules against that. Um, and then, yeah, the detox. <laughs> Prisons, um, you know, uh, I guess that's a whole other debate. But, you know, for the detox, if you do a strict detox, you've stored all these toxins in your fat cells, your liver, your, you know, your, and what happens is if you release a ton of it at one time, Well now your body's going into shock because now you're dumping this into your bloodstream because it's gotta get out. So it's gonna get dumped in and you gotta, you gotta poop and you gotta pee it out, you gotta sweat it out, it's gotta leave your body. Well, guess what it does on the way out? Well, it's toxic. So you're just releasing toxins back into your bloodstream. And I think that's what a lot of, uh, you know, the hardcores don't get is that, hey, you know, you're, you're, you're basically poisoning your client would you want to gradually let them detox instead of dosing them with a heavy detox level right away? Because that can also damage organs as well, depending on how many toxins you've stored. If you release all that at one time or in a short period of time, you know, it's just like getting your amalgam fillings out. You know, people have actually gotten uh, organ failure and organ damage from the mercury and brain damage because it's, it's such a load. Well, that's exactly what's going on inside your body when you change your diet from the American standard American diet to a normal paleo slash primal or ancestral health diet. So, I mean, that's just how I look at it. I'm guessing. No, I'm I,
0: I think that's it. a very holistic view, and I think it. I think it again. I think it's like most things in life is it depends on the person and the situation. But yep. I, I do think if a person tries to do it cold turkey and it's not working. Instead of quitting, they should, you know, okay, well, let's go at a fifty percent level here and and get through this time period. If, if you're a meth addict and you're, you're you go to, to to detox, a lot of times they'll give you methadone and they'll scale you back off it over time to get you through that period of time, or something as mundane as cigarettes. People use nicotine supplements and, and slowly back off the nicotine. It, it's the same thing. And I think what it requires, though, and it's a very difficult thing for people to accept, is accepting the fact. That the food in our society today is, is, is a, not a drug, but a collection of drugs. That we are, we are drugging ourselves every day on the standard American diet. And if you don't look at it that way, it becomes very difficult to see the solution is the same as coming off of drugs. As soon as you do, you go, Oh, of course it is. You know? And when you take, you talk about the addictive factors of sugar. When you take sugar and you wrap sugar, in fat and carbohydrate, right? Like we do when we take a French fry that a fast food place adds sugar to their seasoning for. And now we've got a – really, we're starting out with a simple carbohydrate to begin with, a very, very quick breakdown from a starch to a sugar. It's the same sugar load as freaking sugar. We we fry it in low-quality fat, and then we wrap it in an actual sugar that gives a sweet flavor with it, that is absolutely addictive, McDonald's. Right? I mean, it really is. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, and that—that that is the thing. And how I explain it to people too is I go, and I simply—I'm just a simpleton. I like to make things simple. And I say, okay, first you need to understand that yes, sugar is addictive. B, it is a toxin. It is a poison to the human body. And they go, well, I've been eating sugar. I don't get it. Well, our bodies were never intended to get doses of sugar that we're getting and not refined sugar, table sugar, doesn't exist in nature. You're never going to find table sugar. And on the average, we eat about 43 teaspoons a day. Well, if you were to sit down and just eat 43 teaspoons of sugar in one sitting, more than likely you're going into a coma um, if, you know, if you're not very healthy Worst case is you're going to get really sick because it's a poison. You're going to be poisoning your body. And that's how sugar works. It's highly oxidative. It's very destructive within the human body. It causes free radicals. We all know what free radicals are now. Well, that's what sugar does. It does cellular damage. It does, and that's what free radicals do is they accumulate. You don't have enough antioxidants to flush them out in your body, and that's an electron swap is how it works. It's a natural process, but what we're doing, and that's through, you talked about, glycation. That's the process of glycation, is when a protein molecule is bounced for a sugar molecule. And that happens primarily today on our bad health on hemoglobin, and that's how we transport, obviously, oxygen. And that's why. Um, that's how you age, is because your body is basically full of free radicals. So we're aging more quickly because of the sugar consumption. And, yeah, that's why I tell them. I go, okay, so you get that. You go, you're addicted to it, first of all, because sugar is addictive. It acts similarly on as a drug as far as the neurological pathways that are used. I mean, serotonin and dopamine, uh, that's how it works. It, it, it basically accelerates those neurotransmitters, and that's what happens. And that's why you get addicted to it. And once people kind of sink, let that sink in and go, oh, my God, and I go, trust me, I'm not doing this to scare you. This is a physiological fact, and uh, the example I give them, too, is if you were to drink one Coke, that is the equivalent of eight linear feet of sugar cane in sugar content. <laughs> How in the world are you ever going to eat eight linear feet of sugar cane? You're not. It's not going to happen, and I think that's what it is, though, is the industries are smart, The drug industries are very smart. I mean, that's why ADD medications are so popular now. Everyone's got ADD, you know. Well, they've got to get you hooked because all ADD medications are molecularly a derivative of methamphetamine. A lot of them,
0: because that's absolutely true. (laughs) Yeah,
1: your ADD medications are—they change the molecular structure just enough, just enough to where it's not amphetamine or methamphetamine. And because it's very close, that's what the whole principle of ADH, ADD medication is based off. And what it does is it's an amphetamine. So what it does is it's anyone who's drinking a lot of caffeine or who has taken an amphetamine knows you get super focused. You, 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 you lock in on what you're doing. Well, that's what they're doing. They're not curing the ADD. What they're doing is making you a meth addict in the process, and, yeah, you're going to focus a heck of a lot better when you're on it because you're slowly killing yourself on top of it. But the drug companies now, what they've done is they've even taken Adderall, which is incredibly popular, especially with adults, and they're making new derivatives of it in order to get younger and younger kids under the age of five on ADD medication. And what it does is they're creating addicts. They're creating addicts from the age of five, six, seven, eight. Now they have a customer for the next 60, 70 years because once you start on that road, you're pretty much done. And especially as a young adult, the, the effects that that drug is going to have on your your neurological and your brain development is going to yeah. be irreversible.
0: Oh, and I point. hope you didn't plan on paying for going to college by going to the Army and getting the GI Bill and Army College Fund because now you're not going to go do that. Well, yeah. um, you know, and, and I'm not saying you should or shouldn't join the military. I'm just saying, you know, do they tell a parent who's putting their 7-year-old on meth that you're you're taking away one potential avenue for their career in the future? Uh just want to be uh, one, for example. And then the other side of that would be, okay, the army's a place where you go to learn how to kill people and they don't even want you. Right? Well, that's that that's a concern in of itself, right? I mean, that yeah. that should give anybody pause that that, you know, like it's not like, oh, you can only be in combat arms now. It's, no, we don't want you. Uh, there, there's a lot that we're we're kind of getting into here. Let, let, let's talk about, you've got a new book coming out. Let's, let's make sure we cover that.
1: Yeah. Well, let's go back because I think we got off track and people go, why the heck did he get into ADD medication? Let me just okay go. And why I was use that as an example for is the food industry. And that's how the food industry works. It works like a drug company. And yep. that's why everything is sugar and carbohydrates because they know it's addictive. They know that physically human beings can get addicted to sugar. So why? And it's cheap to make. So they want to get you on it. And when you get on a high-carbohydrate diet, you have to eat much, much, much more of it. So the food industry, to me, is like a drug dealer. There's no difference. Because the the actual (laughs) neurological pathways that follow that food addiction are the same as a drug addiction. There is no difference. You're just killing yourself more slowly with a different drug. That is all. And that's where I want to make sure people didn't think we went off into some crazy tangent and that, you know, Gary's off into some other soapbox world. But, no, that's what I was trying to explain is the addiction side of it. But, yeah, and my book, my second book's coming out. Um, make sure you go get it. I think you'll, everyone will enjoy it. Um, it's not like, uh, I mean, Jack, I consider your permaculture uh, philosophy and everything you're into and your knowledge to be just phenomenal. I'm going to watch you in March because you're coming close to where I live and I'll be going to that permaculture conference. So looking forward to that. But what I'm writing about, again, is my book, I consider Even though people are pretty advanced, uh, I would consider you advanced. Learn, I hope learn something from my books. I don't think they're just for beginners. But I, I wrote them for people who basically have no knowledge. That was the point. But if you have knowledge, you can still use it. So my book is more about – my second book is on GMOs. It's on, uh you know, uh organic foods primarily. How do you find them? What does the organic stamp really mean? And I actually go through and I pull out the USDA regulations and give it to you in their words so you can understand what it means. And then I talk about how to plant your own garden and why that is always better. But what are your options? How do you find a farmer's market? You know, I give links on sites that are very extensive, the ones that I think are the best in the country. I'm locating CSAs, farmer's markets, um, healthier grocery stores. And that's what I'm all about. I'm just trying to educate them, to help them, because I know how hard it is in the beginning to try and find these foods and trying to find grass-fed beef from a ranch. It's not easy if you don't know what you're looking for. Because these ranchers don't have huge budgets. They're not advertising in men's health magazine. You know, they don't advertise at all, you know, basically. You have to know who they are. And so I'm trying to help people find it because I know the path that I had to go through and how difficult it was to find these healthy foods and explain how the inside of the government works. I mean, that's kind of my specialty. And that's what I'm trying to share with people is how how it works and how you can better yourself. And I think you do a phenomenal job on that. You, you know, I told you I'd listened to your show before you had ever interviewed me. I couldn't remember how I'd stumbled across it. But now I'm, uh, I listen almost every single day. I mean, I love your show. I mean, I listen to it all the time because I think our philosophies mesh so closely together. Um, I know I gave you a copy of the book. I'm sure you haven't had a chance to read it yet. I know you got a lot going on.
0: Well, I've read the first uh, book. I think you you sent me a copy of your next book, like a rough cut copy. And I just, to be honest, I haven't been able to read it at all.
1: I know how that goes. Um, But uh, I think your followers who bought my first book will definitely enjoy the second book. Um, And like I said, it's a path. And for anyone looking to get into the path of self-sufficiency, the hardest steps are always the first ones. It's always getting started. That's the hardest part. Because it's confusing, and there's a lot of bad information out there. And what I'm trying to be is the resource. uh, I'm working with some group of people right now, and some people think I'm a little nutty, um, and I won't disagree with them on some of that. But my goal before I die is to change the complete face of health in this country. I want to completely change the way it's looked at and the way it is taught and the way people get their information. Because I think... The way it's done right now is a great disservice to the people. It really is. And I want them to be able to come to one place that they trust the person. They know who I am. They know that, you know, if I wanted to get rich, I've got plenty of schemes that I investigated that I know very well to make money. Trust me, what I'm doing is not a get-rich-quick scheme by any stretch of the imagination. It is a get-poor-quick scheme, if anything. And the reason I do it is because I'm passionate about it. I want to help people. You know, that's the whole point. Um, You know, if you're not helping people, what are you doing? You know, that's my attitude in life. Uh, That's what it's all about.
0: And what I'm learning in my walk with with what I'm trying to do, because I'm stepping up now from trying to give information and education to trying to actually make a difference. We're working hard now to try to establish basically a permaculture farm, which is an offshoot originally of establishing a permaculture community. And as you actually, and you talk about how hard it is to find certain things, when well, you start to figure out why, when you start trying to provide them uh and, and create means with which for them to be provided, the government has done everything it can to prevent it from happening. It, yep. it, 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 it's maddening the, the the things you have to dance through to be able to do something like say, oh, okay, there's a bunch of people that, that know me, that believe in what we're doing, that want to help fund a, a farm. Oh, well, you're... You're you're fundraising for a private corporation. You need only accredited investors. The only the top one percent can invest in that. Oh, here's this new law, and you can take some, but not many. And they, well, now if you do it in another way, then it's then it's income, and we'll tax it before you can actually use it for cost of operations. And y- you start looking at stuff like this, and you start going, "How in the hell are we ever going to fix all this?"
1: And that is for both of us. That is the kind of. Monumental task that we have ahead of us, and I hope people can appreciate that and understand the hours we put in. You know, um, I'm at my folks trying to relax, and I've worked every single day. I work Saturday, Sunday. I don't take days off. And the reason I do it that I do what I do is so because I know I can make it accessible. The way you have to make it accessible is through people like you and people who have a big following. And then as my following gets bigger, you know. And that's how it has to spread out. It sounds corny, but it has to be an organic movement. I mean, I think if people are looking to major advertisers for their information, major groups looking to the government, you're looking in the wrong place already. Um, You're not going to find the answers there. You're going to have to find the homegrown people who you trust. And that's why I like the MSB network and how you set that up. And I plan to actually put something similar, and hopefully you'll help me someday, of what I do. Because I think what you're doing is key, and you're years ahead of me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a newbie. I'm just learning all this stuff and trying to figure it all out, and how to market yourself without selling your soul along the way, and get the information to the people. And for me, you know, your, your, uh, your, uh, your new uh, endeavor of of trying to buy this farming community and put it together. I'll get to all your listeners right now. I'm in. I filled out the the paperwork last night for the form that I, I'm in. And I bought 20 acres in Washington State to go have my little bug out place. And I'm learning the process, and I'm learning it through you. I'm learning it through some of the people that you have associated with you because I don't know it all. You can't. You know, that's the whole point of it is all of us helping each other. And that's how it's going to have to happen. It's going to be a slow roll, but you're starting to see it. I'm having people approach me all the time. Actually, a few people approached me in the coffee shop yesterday, and just started talking to me about primal and paleo, and how excited they were about the movement, and that how they see that the trend is people are starting to wake up, and they're they're going their own way, and they're starting to get away from mass produced industry, and they're starting to trade and barter and look at things like that, and give things away for free. I give a ton of stuff away for free, because I like to. Uh, it's crazy, but I, if I know you can't afford it, I'll just give it to you. You know, pay it forward. That's all I ask. You know, so it'll all come back in the, in, in uh, one way or another. So I'm not, not too yeah. worried about it. I don't need a, a jet and a mansion anywhere. I probably, even if I was Bill Gates, I wouldn't have those. So it doesn't matter to me. I'm older now. I don't really care about that stuff. And I think that's what's happening is people are starting to realize it's just shit. That's all it is. You know, you can't take it with you. It doesn't make you a better person. Actually, you're pretty miserable. (laughs) So, you know, it's not working. I think you teach that a lot in your philosophy and that's what I think we get a lot. Well,
0: Well, I I just had a conversation with an attorney, Gary, where I was talking about doing this and he's saying, well, you got to do it as a 501 because you're talking about doing things that you, that are not good business and corporations can't do. And, the, you know, the question is, well, what are those things? Oh, like basically being open source and revealing company secrets, like how you make a certain plant variety or that you made a mistake. You can't do that. I'm like, where the hell did you come up with this? Yeah, yeah. I mean, sadly, if you're a publicly traded entity on an open exchange, you actually can't do that. But there is nothing that prevents a privately funded company from doing these things, but the mentality is like that that's wrong. Like, see, I think that's, I think it's ass backwards thinking. I know that I have made some major effing screw ups on TSP. I have done some really dumb shit here and there and said some things that were completely wrong. I know that every time that it happened and I figured out that I did it and I came back and I said, I'm sorry. This is my fault. I'm not blaming anybody else. We're going to fix this. Here's the actual like, giving information that turned out to be false because I believe the source that I got it from. This was wrong. I didn't vet it strong enough. This is my fault. I apologize for it. I'm not taking it down. I'm not hiding it. And hopefully that every time I've done that, it's bought loyalty from my audience, my customers. And that if companies did that, if companies came out and went, you know what? We completely screwed up that Reva software. We're not going to try to make it sound like it's good because it's not. We screwed it up. Here's the new version. Here's the patches. We're sorry. It buys loyalty.
1: Well, and I think you discussed that in Scott, uh, uh, your which podcast? It's just a couple days ago. You were talking about that. Yeah. And I was, I was yelling at my radio, going, "God!" Or my computer, going, "That's it, Jack. That's exactly what's wrong with America today." And it's part of uh, this younger generation. I think it's part in the paleo movement that they don't do anything wrong. Um, They don't think taking someone else's information and not referencing it and putting it in another book is not wrong. You know, they don't think that they've told you, uh, you know, that desserts are okay is wrong. And that's part of, uh, kind of a microcosm of it in my world that I'm in. And I'm like you and I don't make a lot of friends because I call people out and I tell them, well, if I say something stupid or it's wrong, please let me know so I can correct it. And they're afraid to even come to me and tell me if I do anything wrong. And I'm all, but you better. I'll oh, get into podcasting.
0: You'll be told you're wrong every day, even when you're right. It'll be great. You'll have all kinds of people telling you what a dumbass
1: you are. <laughs> all the experts come out. No, I've had people already come at me a little bit here and there, and I appreciate it. And I tell them after they're done, you know, ripping me a new one, I say, hey, that's what I'm here for. I've got a thick skin. I can take it. I actually got kicked off a blog because the person running it couldn't take my criticism. You were on it, too. You actually found it after I did. They put out a really stupid statement, and it was based on naivety. And not only that, but they were in bed with a couple of the people that they were promoting. And I called them out on it, and they didn't like it, and I got banned. And I went, "I'll I'll never ban you from my blog. By telling me that I'm doing something wrong that was actually factually wrong. And a bunch of people jumped in on my side and said, hey, this guy's 100% right. He knows exactly what he's talking about. And I agree with him. And I have a background in this. And she didn't like it. Really didn't like it. And that's the thing. If you're going to be in any business, and this is what I tell people, I'm actually writing a self-help slash entrepreneur book, too, at the same time. Um, I think I'm old enough to have some lessons and I've done a lot of stupid things in my life that I think I can relate to other people so they don't do the same things. And it's not because I'm an expert in certain things. I think I've just learned some lessons. But the biggest lesson I've learned is humility and that I can be a complete idiot at times and say some really stupid things. And when you understand that, You know, life kind of comes into focus. Um, I'm not perfect. I never will be. I'm going to make a ton more mistakes with my company, and I know it, but I will fix them immediately. I do my own customer service. When people call, they get me, and they're shocked. And I go, I will do it this way for as long as I possibly can because I want the problem fixed right now, not through some guy that I hired.
0: Yeah, and you're—I you're, mean—you're living the life you're advocating. You mentioned you bought some land recently, yeah—and um, you're trying to learn a lot of these things. And you, you know you've got a growth curve ahead of you. And I, I can tell you, you'll find out a lot of things that you thought were hard aren't, and a lot of things you think are going to be easy are going to be hard. So, wh- what's going on with your land right now?
1: Well, I'm—I'm I'm like you. I don't screw around. I go right off the high dive, and I bought. Uh, Raw land in uh, Washington State on the northeast side, up by the Idaho border, and there's no electricity, there's no phone, there's no water, there's no nothing. It's barren. It's a beautiful piece of land. It's basically prime prime hunting grounds, and that was one of the reasons I bought it. Um, but I'm gonna learn. I've never, I've built a couple houses in neighborhoods <laughs> that I had built for myself. Um, They weren't nothing magnificent. They were just a normal track home. And now i got to learn how to put a well in. I've got to learn how to put septic in. I've got to make it work right. You know, I've got to move dirt. I've got to put in solar. I've got to see if I can get a propane truck up there. It's two and a half miles off the main road. It's an old logging road that goes all the way up to it because it was an old logging site where I bought And so I've got a massive challenge in front of me, but the reason I did it like you is because it's a challenge, and I'm going to write about it. I'm going to write about how I did it and how I'm doing it, and you know, you talk about this. The first step was planning. I had to sit down and figure out, okay, where would I want to live? And I kind of broke it down into simple pieces and places I'd been um, and said, okay, I like this part of the country the best. I like the people there. This fits me the best. And then I had to do, uh, I, uh, is, uh Steve Harris, I think, talked about this, is water. <laughs> the first thing yeah. you got to realize when you go to buy land, you have to have access to water. And that was my second question. I went, okay, I like this lot. Can I get to water? Can I access water here? And the answer was yes. And I went, okay, boom. Now I'm good. I can fix everything else around the water. Without water, you're not gonna make it. And I'm so think you gotta think
0: big on that, man, because a lot of people say, Well I'll put a well in. Well, if you're off grid, you don't have power. Wells take a lot of power. And and yeah. things change like a, a few years ago, right here in, in the this area in Texas, if you wanted a well put in, assuming you weren't dealing with a real rocky formation or something, you get a well put in for about three or four thousand dollars. Now it's more like nine thousand dollars if you can get somebody to do it. Because they're all busy putting in wells for the people doing the fracking. So you've got to really make a, a, you, you know, – don't just throw a number out and say, well, it'll cost X to put a well in. Uh, well, one, can you do it? And two, what's well, it really going to cost?
1: Well, and that's what I've had to do too. I'm not a rich guy. So I'm paying for this. I'm not financing anything. Um, I will not go finance anything through a bank ever again. I haven't done that for over five years. And I will not. I refuse to deal with banks anymore as far as any financing. Um, And it's hard because I'm a veteran and so are you. And there's a lot of great VA programs and it's tough not to fall into that. But I want to do it on my own. I want to do it on a budget, which I have to. And I gave myself, I said, I did. I went, well, I went, this thing could cost up to 15 grand if they got to go 400 feet. I'm budgeting 15 grand. That's what I'm going to put my budget at. As. The as septic, depending on how the well goes, could be up to seven to ten grand if it goes south on me. And so I had to plan for that and I'm planning expensive on everything that I'm doing and I'm doing it in stages. I was going to try and get up there and get it done in three years or two, three years. Now I'm realizing it's probably going to take me five years to pay for everything and to build it and to do everything. And I'm not building a mansion. I'm building like a 1,400-square-foot house with a uh, a uh workshop. That's it. And it's going to take me probably five years to do it. It may take me longer. And that's why I think uh some of your listeners have to understand, because uh, that was a point I took, you know, to home, is this isn't overnight. You know, it's just no. like changing, changing your health. You're not going to do it in two weeks. So don't even think about it. I tell told, told people the initial is 12 to 18 months. Then it spears after that, and your body keeps adapting. My body is still adapting, and it's been six, seven years, and it still goes through changes because I'm aging. But with this going off the grid, the reason I want to do it too is I want to provide a place for people to come to who want to do things that they can't do in the city. I'm going to teach them how to hunt. I'm going to teach them how to fish. There's a lake right below me. You know, I want to show them how to make things, how to do the basic survival things, show them my solar... Uh, panels, and how I hooked up the batteries, and how my well works off the grid. Does it work very well? You know, how I compensate with a generator, you know, uh, those things. Um, and I have to learn those as I go. I don't know those. I didn't go to school for that. I got to figure it out. And that's kind of what I teach is, and what you teach is, hey, this stuff isn't easy. You got to suck it up, and you got to figure it out. No one's going to hold your hand and, and do it for you. And I think that's You know, what I like about what I'm doing is I think I'm a little different from my genre, too. I'm always progressing. I'm never sitting still. I mean, like I said, I'm going to write my books and move on. Well, Rob Wolf wrote his book, what, 10 years ago? There's not even a new edition. I've already got my third book coming out, and I've got fourth and fifth in the works. That's what makes me different. I'm not sitting around and waiting. I've got other stuff to do and other stuff to share. Nothing against Rob Wolf. I mean, he wrote an outstanding book. He was the beginning of the whole movement. Him and Lauren Cordain. And I hope people don't get that. I'm not bashing these people. It's
0: just, it's a different way
1: of doing things.
0: You have your and approach. I, they have theirs. And I mean, yeah, to be yeah. fair to them, uh, they're they're the pioneers in the in the movement. And while you're not basing what you do on them, the market they've created is the market that you're you're playing in primarily
1: yeah I, without them blazing that trail, I have nowhere to go. you know they someone had to do it first, and Rob Wolf and Lauren Cardine are the people who did that movement first, even though the paleo paleolithic guy was well known before that, and you know Weston a Price was actually the true pioneer in the er, in the late thirties and early forties um and that's where Rob and lauren you know probably got a lot of their information. I'm sure they did but they were the ones who had to blaze the trail, and I respect them greatly for that. And, you know, it's one of those things, Do I just, I'm one of those people who speaks my mind. And if Rob was, Rob was to come up to my face, I'd say it right to his face, too. I wouldn't insult him. I would just say, hey, Rob, this is what I believe. I like your belief. This is what I like about him. And if you can't do that and you can't accept that as a person, uh, you know, you might want to go work in a cubicle uh, and not start your own business. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: Yeah, slings and arrows will be flung the minute you're doing anything that matters. I've I've often said to people when they're like, don't you get tired of people you know, talking trash about you and all that? Well, once in a while I do, and I kind of probably am a little bit too rough in lashing out on it, but it builds on you. But overall, I don't really care. Um, if, if I happen to hear something at the wrong time or the wrong day when I'm in the middle of something else, I might throw out a nasty comment back or something. But in, in reality, I really don't care what you think about me, and I'm actually grateful that there are people that bash what I do in some way because if it didn't, what it would mean is I'm not doing anything meaningful. There is no one doing anything meaningful in the world today that doesn't have people that you would just call haters. If you have no haters, you've not not launched yet, right? You, You have to have them because if you're doing anything that matters, especially today, you're stepping outside of what everybody expects to be the norm. And it's it's like a bunch of freaking monkeys, man. If the one monkey climbs the string the wrong way, the other monkeys jump on him and beat his ass. They don't yep. want the, the 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 status quo disrupted. And it's you would think it's only like the wealthy and the privileged and the empowered that that feel that way, but it's not because when you start shaking that up, the people that are vested in it from a totally different standpoint of I've accepted life is shitty because that's the way that it is and therefore I've made my prison cell the best cell that I can make it, and you start saying, well, actually, there's a door right there, and the doorknob on the inside actually turns. It's not locked, and you can walk your ass out there all you want to. The thing is, that the jailer won't come around and feed you anymore. They start like, well, that means I'm responsible for this crap, and I don't feel good about that. Um, and, and And I think that's the majority. People have no idea that's why they're lashing out at people that make a difference. But that's the majority of them. That is the actual reason why. You're forcing them to take a hard look in the mirror, see the chains that are on their arms and legs that they've put on themselves, that they've polished for 20 years and had pride in their chains, and they're proud that they're a slave to a system, or more accurately, a group of systems. And when you say, you know what? You can slip right out of that chain. Your hand's smaller than the cuff. It's like, oh, you're saying it's my fault that I'm here. In a way, I am. And they, yeah. people do not like that at all.
1: No, and, and you hit on a very good point because the thing is me and you had to look each other in the mirror at some point too, and that's how I, where I'm at today. I was in, you know, I was in, in that, you know, perpetual wheel myself. And I know the metamorphosis I took and how I had to change and you know, being an entrepreneur, now that I've learned because, you know, working for the government, you know, I was. I was, you know, you're kind of taken care of. And now I realize that this shit's hard. And I respect <laughs> entrepreneurs and people who step out there tenfold because, you know, you're going to get bashed. You're going to be poor in the beginning if you're doing it right. Um, not to say unless you're some whiz program developer and and write code. But for everyone else out there, and that's what I'm putting in this kind of self-help slash uh, entrepreneur book is if you think you're going to make money right away and you're going to have a cushy lifestyle you're dreaming you're going to starve to death for the first three to four years guaranteed and you're going to struggle you're going to question what you're doing your friends, your family are going to question what you're doing they're not going to understand what you're doing and the people who become successful are the ones who stuck it up and get through it the ones, that's why what, is it? 90% of all new businesses fail well, it's because Correct. people go, oh, well, it's bad planning is part of it. The other part is they just give up. And I'm realizing that, you know, I've we've talked a little bit and, man, I, I struggle. I mean, I do everything on my own. I mean, I self-published. I mean, I had to print my own first books and had to find how to – I basically had to learn how to write books from the entire process. I mean, from writing, editing. You know, layout, I had to learn the whole process. Did I do all of it? No, I'm not stupid. It would have looked like a six-year-old did it. But, you know, that's how I had to go and I had to learn those processes. But along the way, I was, I wouldn't change anything. You know, it's like you talk about being in the military and talking about if you would tell someone or recommend someone going to the military. Man, we're, we're identical on that one. I learned a shitload of lessons from the military but I will not tell anyone they need to go into the military. They should go in the military. Uh, I'm not anti-American by any stretch. It's just I think making your own path and blazing your own trail and being an entrepreneur is a soldier in its own right, and it's different. Um, are you going up and, and you know, uh, having a gun aimed at you? No, you could get robbed or something but you know what i mean it's it's just a different philosophy and how you look at life and i think life is uh it's biting us in the ass right now it really is it's beating us up and it's pounding us into the ground and you got to make a choice are you just going to be a wooden dowel and get hammered or are you going to step up and say i'm done with this and walk away and with that comes some brutal choices um every day is uh a little bit of pain for me, but every day is definitely a lot of glory as well. I mean, <laughs> I've, I'm proud of my books. I'm proud of what I'm putting out. And uh, that's my greatest reward. And when people come up to me and go, man, I liked your book. Or if they go, you know what, that book really sucked. Well, hey, tell me why. Sit down and, hey, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Why don't you explain to me why it's so bad?
0: Yeah, maybe maybe I'll learn something. Maybe Maybe I'm wrong, but maybe you're maybe you're not right I mean it's it's kind of a hard thing to to know really is until you actually listen to what a person has to say and I think sometimes people think I don't listen to what they have to say when they have criticism and it's I don't have time for everybody's criticism so my first my first assertion is one have I heard this before and if I look at I've heard this before and I've been through it already then I'm not interested two are you making an articulate argument and if you're not then I'm not interested If it gets past those two, I generally deeply consider the person's opinion. What amazes me, though, is that even though you've done that, when you when you come back and say, look, I've listened to what you had to say. I know you think you understand this, but since I've been doing this for six and a half years or six years now, um, uh, I can tell you that I've already been through all this crap and I'm not going to change it. And, And then they're actually offended that you didn't like 360 rotate on on everything that you're doing because of their personal opinion.
1: Yeah, and that's probably the biggest uh, lesson I've learned as an entrepreneur, as a writer, because I, I wrote something prior that was geared more towards personal trainers and prof- health professionals, and I let people steer my boat on that, and uh, and I, I've learned that lesson of, it doesn't matter, don't let other people tell you how to run your business or what you're going to do. I mean, do you want to get advice from people who know what they're doing? Yes, but... What makes your business your own? It's just like my writings. Um, And I tell people I get hit up by young health people who are looking to get into the industry or write books or write a blog, and I tell them the first thing you need to do is write from your heart and write what you think. Don't write what you think other people want. Don't write Rob Wolf's book. Rob Wolf already did it really well. (laughs) You're not going to recreate Rob Wolf's book. It's good already, so don't try. And they kind of sit there and think about it, and go, yeah, and that's what I did with all my writings and why I don't read other people. And when I wrote this organics book, I don't think I read anyone's book, anything. I think I just <laughs> went from what I thought and what I felt and my knowledge and said, this is how I look at it. This is how I teach people. And I think that's why my books have a little different flavor to them. And I hope they're not repetitive. I mean, I try not to be. Um, like I said, there's great books out there. Rob Wolf, Lauren Cordain, S- they've written their books. I don't need to write their books again. You know, what's the point? Um, I think that's anything in life. So if you're going to yeah. start your business, remember, it is not about a product, for say, I mean, don't give me wrong, your product better be damn good. But it's about you and the product. First, it's about you because you are what the people are going to be looking to to have confidence in that product. If you're a shipper and you've got a good product, it's going to reflect on a good product. If you're you're a good guy and you try and sell a shitty product, they'll see through that too eventually. It's got to be good guy, good product. And and you, you were I mean.
0: mentioning earlier about working really hard before you actually turn a profit. Um, it, you, when I look back at this show and people see it almost as an overnight success, and I think about getting in my car in 2008 and, and doing the first episode – and I start to kind of do the math and think about, well, around February of 2009, I actually introduced the first means of monetizing the show. At that time, I had done 150 episodes of the show. I did 150 podcasts before I even was willing to take a penny from anybody in return for doing it, and I don't think many businesses get established that way anymore, and I I think more should because I talk to people that, you know, they've had their business up and running for six months, and you talk to them and they're making a few hundred dollars here and there and they're they're upset with their progress and it's like you're already ahead of where I was the six months. I had zero. And right? You know?
1: Yeah. I'm guilty of that, Jack. I am terribly guilty of that. Um I'm a type A like you and I came out of the gate to swing and I said, I want success now. And it's hit me in the face and I've realized that, you know, I've spent my life savings. I ain't got nothing left. It's hmm. it's in this company. I don't make a dime. I lose money every single month, and that's actually not unique. That's pretty much how it goes. <laughs> you know, you don't make shit in the first couple of years. You lose money. So if you think, I think that's the biggest uh uh mistake people make is they think they're going to live off their new endeavor right away, so they go quit their job. You know, they start rolling out whatever they're going to do, working in their basement, you know, trading their product in a garage, whatever, you can't live off that. It just doesn't happen that way. And no, I've correct. realized that. That's why I, I, I'm a college professor on the side. You know, that's why I work with clients. That's why, you know, I you know, I do other things to make money to keep my passion alive.
0: Absolutely. And, I think that's, and that's what it takes.
1: That's, I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned is that, to start your own business, and I re- do you remember people telling you this when you owned your own businesses before? But they said the uh, entrepreneurs, the old wiser ones, who said, "Oh, you don't have any clue what you're getting into. I you are gonna was, work."
0: There's the people that were telling me how risky it was, you know. And I'm I'm sitting here looking at these people telling me how risky it is, and I'm like, "Well, you owe sixty thousand dollars." on an SUV that has depreciating value that when you finally have it paid off, it'll be worth about $10,000. And if anywhere along the way you end up in a situation where you can't pay the bill, you're going to destroy your credit and have the vehicle repossessed. And that seems risky to me, uh, me building yet another business venture. And I have not had success in every business I've ever built. I've never claimed that, uh, you know, and I had businesses that were, in in the beginning that were moderately successful. They'd make me pocket change here and there, but they didn't require a lot of ongoing upkeep. And, and I had detractors on that, like, well, if you had actually just put this into your career, where could you be now? You'd be vice president of this or whatever. And, you know, eventually I ended up with those types of positions. And when I never wanted that shit in the first place um so yeah. I remember for the detractors with how risky it is and you know, and even things like I bought a, a second house and and that was to to some of my relatives that was risky behavior to you have a second house now you have two mortgages and all that. well, my house costs less than your car so and my house will appreciate in value, and your car will depreciate in value uh, my house payment is. A, you know, a quarter of what your car is, because I can finance it out over 20 years versus the five years you have on your vehicle. And I think risk is something that people don't really understand. We're kind of going into an entrepreneur second uh, layer show here, but I think it's important to people because there are so many people in both of our audiences, I imagine, that are saying, "I want something of my own," and and that is a big part of preparedness because you're not going to fire yourself. And, and it, you know, and, and frankly, when you're early on in a business, no one else wants to work for you. So. Um, you, you oh, have a pretty yeah. secure job, right? Um, yeah. but it, it does take a lot of work. And I think that when people look at your success, it can inspire them, but they often don't realize the years that went into it. I've said it before. I'll say it right now. I've had people say, well, it's easy for you. And I'm like, well, you know what? Uh, six years ago when I was getting up at three o'clock in the morning and coming down to prepare my show notes for my drive to work and I let the dog out and all and headed to my little home office corner, I never bumped into your ass, right? You were never there. Yeah. So don't <laughs> yeah. tell me that I had it easy um, because that's the work ethic it took. That's what it actually took to take an idea and turn it into a business. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs can learn from that too because they did it, and then they go to another business or another business, and they never have that lit-on-fire passion for those follow, cause like now I'm, now I'm Will Chamberlain, man. I make baskets. I don't have to worry about it. And you know what? When a new entrepreneur starts a new venture, you can get some bounce off of your previous actions. You have some level of followers or some level of loyal investors or what have you and some level of market awareness. But in the end, you are right back where you started with your first business. And I think a lot of times when you see an entrepreneur, and I don't care if it's an entrepreneur of my level, or you see some really big time guy like a Mark Cuban billionaire level. You know, this guy's got thirty companies that have never, never had the magic of Broadcast.com, and probably never will, because it's, yeah. it's not made up of you know forty guys. One of that nobody even knows the guy's name. His name's Patrick uh, Patrick Seaman, who was a janitor at J.C. Penny's with a nighttime job when he was developing all the audio the net stuff that became broadcast, and, and there was 39 other guys like that, all with skin in the game, doing it together, and it just doesn't, it doesn't usually have that unless you you have that belief in it. And this is why I say something that all the business gurus today are crapping on. Do something you love. And people say, well, no, you got to serve your market, you got to fill a need. And I'm like, if you love something, there's at least a thousand freaking people out there that love it too. Okay, so you can get a thousand loyal fans, super fans that will each spend one day's wages with you a year. You have about three annual salaries and income right there. Right. So if you love something, the concept that you can't find a thousand other people that love it as much as you is ridiculous. But the big reason is you're talking about the hard work right now, Gary. If you don't love it, you won't get up at 3 a.m. and work on it. You have to love it to have work ethic that you need to get it off the ground. Now, if you have lots of money and you can get other people working for you and you can put a conventional corporate model in a place, I've done that too, and you don't have to love that business. But if you're going to, like you say, own it all, be it all, do it all, if you don't love it, forget it. It'll never freaking happen.
1: And, you know, we were told when we were young, I remember my grandfather telling me that, do something you love, and everyone thinks, oh, that's bullshit, that's such a cheesy what a pie in the sky state statement, well, it took me till, you know, in my late 30s, 40s to figure that one out and go, no, that is true. You know, don't go to college to be a drama major, though, if you don't love drama or you think, you know, that you're going to go out and get a job at a bank or something. It's not going to happen. But, you know, there's obviously you got to play this dual role and figure out what's going to get you by and what you're passionate about. It's differentiating. You can't just always be passionate about something and create a business out of it. It's that 10,000, you know, hour rule to be an expert that I've been pounding in people's heads lately. If you want to become an expert at what you, at least you're passionate about and love, but you're right. If I didn't love what I did, I would have quit this a long time ago. I mean, and, and why I say, you know, I don't make money, it's because I dump everything I make right back into it and then some. I just keep, cause I know what I'm doing is right. And I have enough people telling me and I have fallen, up, you know, a loyal enough following saying keep at it just keep doing it they're getting there they're getting there and you know because people do i am sure they think you too. with you too they look at me and they go oh man look at this guy he writes books he's got this website yeah, he's on yeah. amazon he's loaded and you're all you no know, that's not how it works Well, yeah you know? there's the
0: other thing right so as soon as you you go from shooting iphone video to hd video right, and putting some decent editing into things, and get like a a professional and spend a couple thousand bucks to make your website look good, and then actually develop a a track record where you're putting out content all the time that people dig, all of a sudden people think, oh, well, look, wow, you're successful, you know, and it makes me think years ago, I was in Manhattan, and we were uh, having some wings and beers or something at a place, and there were these two guys, you could tell they worked on Wall Street or something, and the, the, the one guy was telling the other guy. And the guy's got his own freaking website. He's got his own freaking website, you know? And, and, and me and this buddy of mine that were there for a social media conference, uh, we're, we're just like, do you guys want a website? That's what we do. You could have a website tomorrow. But there's still, even though that was several years ago, there's still a mentality that you, you, when you create this web presence, that equals success. Yeah. And it doesn't equal success. There's the, that's not how it works. It may lead you to success. When I was in kind of my transitional stage from sales to marketing, and I went to work for a web development company as their director of internet marketing, and they were supposedly selling marketing, but what I saw them doing was taking every penny the client had in design work because it was easy. You got the money, and you built the site to the the budget, and you delivered it, and you're done, and then you would try to get them on board with marketing after their budget was gone. And what I realized is we had so many clients coming in, and this was when you were still in those early stages of the internet. This is 2004, right? And people oh, wow. would see something like blinds.com, and a guy would come in, I got this great idea for a website. I'm going to have this site that sells blinds like blinds.com. Mine's going to be different, though, because of two or three bells and whistles, right? And the, the, the whole design team would get in there, and they were very good at what they did and very professional firm, but they would ding this guy for like 30 grand to build a site. And I'm thinking, I know fifteen kids to yeah. build this site for this guy in a week. Okay? And they were going to take a month because the guy actually design firms, building sites like that, when you have a big budget, they will take longer to deliver the site than it takes them to deliver the site so that you feel like they've earned it. Right? Oh, this, wow. I mean, this, is, I
1: didn't, this is kind I didn't of like
0: it's like you know insider stuff about like the FDA. Like this is insider stuff about development. They will lie to you. Because the guy is going to go in there, take a few pictures, chop them up, and especially 2004 layers of design was much less sophisticated than some of the advanced things we're doing today. And and then, you know, basically you're getting a site with, you know, a few plugins and stuff built on a blog platform, and, and you're waiting months for it, and you feel like, oh wow, I got something really great. And then you realize that the person that spent all this money, this is kind of the upshot of it, never had a business plan. They had a develop, they had a site development plan, and they mistakenly believed that the site is the business. So then they come over to you in marketing, and they say, now that I've got this great site that I just spent $30,000 on, we'd like to start marketing. You do a research and analysis portfolio for them. You present it to them. You say, this is what it's going to cost in the early stages. We're not going to be able to get much out of organic. We're going to have to buy traffic to your site. And you're like, I suggest a budget of about $5,000 a month, and they choke. Right, and I'm going, well, I'm going yeah. right here. this is a competitive niche. You didn't know that before you decided you want to go in this business well no, well, uh, I just saw a site and this that's like the big that's the the guy with more more money than brains, right, but yeah. that's and it's easy to mock him, but the same person that sets up a little WordPress blog, puts a couple hundred bucks in the graphics design falls into the same trap. They think the site is the business. The business is delivering the content, reaching the broader audience, building the coalition of fans that are going to come with you and, and hold you up as a champion for a cause along the way because you earn it and if you don't have the plan for that, then you're screwed but here's the magic: if you do what you're you love you you don't need the plan you don't it's good to have it. But you don't need it because it's what you're going to do.
1: You're dead on with that. You're so dead on because I fell into that trap that you're talking in. The I didn't have more money and brains at no money, no brains when I first started, <laughs> which was. A, but I thought, you know, hey, if I just create this, and one of my downfalls was not reading other people's stuff to influence my stuff. Well, what it did is I didn't realize how much competition was out there. Sure. I shut myself off, and I didn't know my competition. Which now I look back at, though, was
0: good. Well, and you, you didn't go blowing fifty thousand dollars on a website either.
1: Yeah, you know, I was uh, I was pretty lucky, Jack. I didn't um, I didn't spend that kind of money on my website. Not to say I didn't spend uh, a lot, um, but I didn't spend nearly uh, as much as most people do. I'm lucky. I went through three web guys. Um, you know how they are. They're they're flaky. They the first two fell off the face of the earth. Um, mm-hmm. I read, it, I've, I read on my website, God, I want to say four or five times already. And luckily, the, my newest web guy who's been with me for probably a year and a half is a friend of mine. Um, so I'm lucky. Um, totally different when you're working with a friend. People say don't work with friends. I kind of disagree with that now. I use a lot of friends in my business and or I've met people who have become friends. And it makes things a heck of a lot easier. Um, but I did get taken on the publishing side as far as editing. Um, a lady tried ripping me off. She had that little scheme going. Kinda like what you said, sucked me in, um, and then had this whole uh non for profit association that she held meetings that so magically happened at free libraries and it was a creepy little deal and she built me out of a couple grand before I realized that she was looking to take me for about thirteen, fourteen grand and not deliver. I had to threaten to sewer her to get the money back. But yeah, I mean people for me, I don't I didn't have a business background. You know, my background's in law enforcement, military. And you know, I had to learn as I went, but I was smart enough to not get taken because I investigated a lot of white collar criminals. So I kinda knew some of the stuff that goes on. But a website, you're totally right. You can get taken for a website, the heartbeat. I had people knocking down my door, hey, all you need to get started is five, ten grand. Just give us five, ten grand. We'll, we'll start working on your website right away. And you're like, hmm, I don't know about that. I'm not, I don't know who you are. Why would I give you five or ten grand? You know. Um, so, yeah, it is. And, and I learned with the website, too, is it's one billions. Your website's just another one out in the... You know in uh, in the digital universe, it doesn't mean shit
0: your uh, it website a- is it is an employee okay It's I have to look at it. it's It's a key man employee it's somebody you need to enable your business, but it's an employee yep. right so yeah. if you if you make your website your business, you've made an employee your business, which is not good because the employee has too much power right You don't want your employee to have complete power over your business, so the business is everything attached to the site and everything the site enables. But we, we've gone way out there. Let, let's pull this back in because we had you on for <laughs> your, your books and health and wellness and all right. So as we're wrapping up here today, Gary, if there was one piece of advice you could give someone when it comes to health and wellness, what would it be?
1: You know, I've changed on that. I used to say is uh if you're looking to start is to reduce sugar. I've always used that. I say reduce your sugar load. But now I've kind of changed it because, You can do that, but that's just one little piece of information, and there's a bunch of little bits that go around it, is find a philosophy and someone you trust. That, I think, is the key. Because I can give you nutritional advice and give you a great kickstart, but it's meaningless. It's just a piece of empty information floating around with nothing around it. it. What makes the information relevant and what makes it good and followable is something that you can attach to. Something you believe in. So it's, you've got to believe in the company, the product, or the person. And that's what's, cause that's ultimately what's going to help motivate you to stick with it. Um, I can give you a piece of advice. I'd say reduce sugar and you go, well, I can do that. I want to give up my cookies. I want give up my candy bar. What kind of bullshit? Yeah. For, what kind of advice is that? I already know that one, <laughs> you know. So I think it's more of just find something that you can attach to. Some philosophy, and I think that's what makes Paleo and Primal so great, is it's more of, uh, it's more of the tribe. You know, it's more of a collective group of people trying to accomplish the same goals. I think that would be the advice, is find, uh, you know, find someone you can follow and find your tribe. Find a group to belong to.
0: I would add to it and find multiple answers to that question for multiple people and make them all part of what you do, because I would yeah, actually yeah. answer that question entirely different. Not that I disagree. It's just I'm coming from a different stance. And I would say, like, the best thing I could say for your health, your overall health, not necessarily your weight or whatever, but your overall health, and this, this will sound kind of airy-fairy, but it's not. It's just the truth. Find joy in your life, right? Oh, when when, when I hated my life, I was sick as shit, Right? I feel so much healthier today, and I think it's partly because I have so much to live for, so Uh. much I'm happy about, so much I want to be, Uh. you know, I want to be here tomorrow morning because I love what I do now. And I don't just mean the show, I mean my whole life, my relationship with my wife is better, my you know, my relationship with her family is better. The, the 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 problems with my family I've let go of and just said they are what they are. Screw off. I don't have time to live in the past. I have things that I'm doing and projects that I'm working on. And I think if you have that, you're going to find ways, if you're fat, to become skinny, if you're sick, to become healthy. Where if you don't have joy in your life, I think you'll actually find ways to stay miserable. I have a family member. Who is freaking miserable? She's a hypochondriac. She thinks she has fifteen different diseases. Uh, she'll, she, she's you know been on disability now for years because she had a psychopathic breakdown at work, and that was the only thing she could do after that because she was fired and no one was going to hire her. So she blamed it on an illness and, and started drawing on disability. And and that person is never going to be well. That person is never going to be healthy. And if she came to you and did everything you said as far as the mechanics exercise, diet, nutrition, she'd probably feel better. But if she doesn't find some, some reason to be joyful and positive, she's effed.
1: Yeah, well, and that's why I say something you believe in. Because I believe if you if you follow something you believe in, it will lead you to the journey of happiness. Um, it makes the journey easier in my mindset. And that's the great part about me and you. Two different ways. There's two different ways. And, I, and that's what I teach you is there's no one way. And, yeah, I agree. Find different avenues and look, research different things. But what I was talking about is just, it's more of a belief. that so you got to believe in yep. something. You've got to take that first step. Most people just want the information and the information only. And that really doesn't do you a whole lot. You've got to have, like you said, that long-term. And what I'll, I'll tell people, and me and you know this, when you change your health, things that were really shitty become really good. Yeah. And I don't know, I mean, there's a whole obviously biochemical reason behind all this but it's amazing the direction your life changes it goes it's like your ass all of a sudden goes in the right direction yep. and everything starts lining up and you know you feel better you have better relationships and no one ever believes me on that one and i go trust me on this i was a miserable prick when I left the government, <laughs> no one wanted to be around me. I always hated me. I know your job.
0: I, of course you were. It,
1: yeah, I was a complete asshole. And, and it showed. And and that was not the person I grew up as. That was a, the job and what I was under and being unhealthy made me into. Um, and that's the thing is you've got to find that, that, that place and you do. And, and realize that it's not the cure-all. I think people also look at, well, if I lose 10 pounds, that's all I need to do. It's like, no, no, that's not it. It's not about losing the 10 pounds. It's about feeling better and losing the 10 pounds. Oh, dude,
0: there's, there's skinny, sick people all over the place. There's, there's, there are skinny people who are far closer to their graves than people that – I wouldn't say obese, but a lot of people would look at and say, well, that guy's kind of fat or he should lose 20 pounds or whatever. And that that guy that's 20 pounds overweight, according to a statistic, is in a hell of a lot better shape than the guy that's like 140 and he's freaking 5'10 and, and he's got 600 different things wrong with him. His physician and him are on a first-name basis because he's in there every three weeks. And he's pale and pasty. You can look at him and see he's sick. And, and, yeah. and there's plenty of skinny, sick people. Uh, well, and skinny are not the same thing. You want to lose weight, get cancer, you'll lose weight. Yeah,
1: or yeah, that's what I tell people. I, you know, or take uh, you know all the over-the-counter weight loss uh, magic pills, and I go, yeah, death is a legitimate weight loss program. If you will lose weight when you die, and if that's the route you want to go knock yourself out, and people think I'm just a total jackass for saying that. But I'm all, why would you take that? There is no magic pill. And that's another thing I'll leave people with. If you're waiting for that magic pill to make you healthy and to make you lose weight and feel better about yourself, keep dreaming. It ain't going to happen during your lifetime. It comes with hard work. It comes with adjusting your, your eating habits, your exercise habits. And not that being said, it doesn't mean you have to work out five hours a day and that you have to eat lentils and – well, you shouldn't be eating lentils. Eating lentils <laughs> and, like, and grass. But you know what I mean? It, it's one of those – it's a balance, and people just don't get that because we've been brainwashed over and over again. Red pill, blue pill. Which one do you want? And it doesn't work. You should say no to both. It doesn't work that way. You need to get off your ass, get off the couch, go out do your research – Walk around the block every night. Take your kids, take your dog for a walk. That's exercise. Believe it or not, I teach that to a lot of my clients. Walk 30 to 45 minutes every night.
0: You know, I'm, I'm in on, on that one with Andrew Weil, uh, I, one of the pioneers in alternative health. It's probably one of the best and least used forms of exercise in the world today. Uh, it, it, walking. It, it just and it, 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 If you want to talk about paleo, it's how they freaking got everywhere that they went. They were either walking the, or running, or they weren't going. It was the
1: original car. Those <laughs> original two car. feet.
0: But you you know, know, as a kid, when, we, when I was a kid in the pre-driving years, uh, we referred to it a little bit snarkily as the shoe leather express.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm the like shoe
0: leather express. Mom took my bike I, away. I'm on the shoe leather express today.
1: I I mean, and the simple things, and, and you we hear this from some of the simpletons who say, "Well, park further away from the mall," and that. And I totally believe in that. Um, but it, you got to look at it the sense I've watched people circle the parking lot for 30 minutes <laughs> to get that parking spot just 20 feet closer. Oh,
0: now you're on my pet peeve. Here's my pet, oh, Here's oh, my pet peeve. Here's my pet peeve with this. You, you, I don't think most people even think about it this way. They're going to a giant freaking mall. They're going to walk in or waddle their ass off through that entire mall. Those malls are huge. Yep. Walking an extra 20 feet in the parking lot is meaningless compared to how much walking they're going to do anyway. I, I, but they're getting a moron. Uh, you know, like, why are idiots idiots now? Um for people that you know, part heard what you have to say, Gary, and they want to get your books and, and, and read your blog and all that stuff, where can they find all that? Because I don't think we've told anybody that in an hour and 40 no. minutes
1: now. No, we just like to talk. We have to get on it. Um, you can go to com. That's where I sell my books. I sell some basic exercise equipment. I sell, I now have my own line of supplements. Uh, it's not complete. Uh, I'm still working on it. Um and so people can go to a place and get some trustworthy supplements that I have researched and that are mine. So, and also you can buy my books on Amazon. I have them in Kindle version. I have the iBooks version, but like you, I'm so busy. It's been sitting on my desktop, and I need to upload it to iBooks. Um, but that will be happening soon. And all of our, all of my books from here on out will be on all those avenues. And you can download the PDF version from my website to if you're. Uh, more of a simpleton like me um but yeah you can you can give them at those spots and uh I, i'm an msd member so you can go through there and get the 10 percent discount and free shipping and i highly recommend if you guys are msd members make sure to click through and go through that link to get your discount
0: cool gary well i appreciate you being with us today
1: hey thanks a lot jack i always enjoy it like i said i'm glad uh we, we catch ourselves because we could probably do a four or five-hour show. Yes, yes.
0: All right, yeah. man. Well, on that note so that we don't, this has been uh, <laughs> Jack Mirko today along with Gary Collins. Tell when you figure out how to live that better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't. It's in our food these days. You know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. i